Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Church. It's good to see all of you here in this space and those of you who are throughout the building worshiping and those of you who are online this morning. We welcome all of you. Um, are glad to be together, united by the Spirit. It's a comfort to me, this line in this last song that we just sang, that our God is surely in this place, that God has been here before we got here, that we don't have to do anything special to get God's attention, but that God welcomes us and invites us into his presence because he is always here and always everywhere. So this morning, I hope you find comfort in that. I invite you to stand as we hear the words from Psalm 145. You can stand. Um, we're going to hear these words as they call us into a, a place of worship, and then we'll sing together. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's do that together this morning by singing praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
seated. Beck and I were having dinner with some friends the other night, and we started talking about the Enneagram, which is a self-discovery tool, you might say. It has some roots uh, in the Christian tradition. But what it does is it helps us uh, process uh, maybe some of the unique gifts that each of the personality types uh, bring to the world, but also some of the shadow sides, some of the ways in which you live into unhealth. What I found most interesting, though, about the conversation was that so many of us were kind of confused about what type we were. Are we a this number or a that number? Maybe some people had a strong conviction that they were this number, but yet others were very confused and didn't know at all what the numbers even meant. It made me wonder or think about how much we have in, in Jesus Christ, a God who knows us and knows all of us. So uh, acknowledging that, we're going to offer a prayer this morning in the words of Psalm 139. It's a way for us uh, to affirm God's knowledge of who we are, but also a way for us to reflect on the ways in which we live into our healthy self, but also some of the shadow sides of our lives. The way in which uh, we will encounter this prayer uh, is that I will read uh, a portion of Psalm 139, and then you will respond back with a, um, a refrain, if you will. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 139. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Lord, Lord you know me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Lord, you made me. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Lord, you see me. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I, when I awake, I am still with you. Lord, you understand me. Search me. God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, lead me in the way of life. To put an exclamation point on God leading us in the ways of health versus the shadowy sides, uh, we'll, hear from Psalm, we'll hear from Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices because my body also rests secures. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me, O God, the path to life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us live and follow the path to life.
Thank you, Bell Choir. That was awesome. Is that what you call a medley, Christy, when you have like a, a mashup of a couple different songs? Is that a, a good enough qualification for me to join the Bell Choir? Come on in. Ah. Some people say that you can carry beats in your mind or in a bucket, and I'm more of the bucket kind of guy. Hey, it's good to be together. Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Church. My name is Nate Skipper and I am one of the pastors here where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or visiting with us uh, this morning, first off, welcome. We're glad you're here, uh, whether you're in person or online. Uh, the other thing is that if you are new or visiting with us and you want to learn more, about what's going on at Fellowship and what it might mean uh, to officially, you might say, join our, uh, our, our crew, our family, our church. Um, there will be a Discover Fellowship class that will be meeting on Wednesday evenings, uh, the next three Wednesday evenings starting this Wednesday. Also, uh, this is a little bit of a mix-up, I must confess, by our part, because I noticed in the weekly email that it's an everybody's birthday celebration this afternoon hosted by the middle school youth group at Jeff Jansmas, which is a pretty cool thing to have a big party for everybody. But it's not really everybody, middle schoolers. Come on, I'm not invited. Only middle schoolers are invited to celebrate their birthdays. And I was told that after the first service by Jeff Jansma, who's hosting the party with his sweet outdoor luge that I can't come because they only have cake for the middle schoolers and us older folks can't go. But if you are a middle schooler, you are most welcome and encouraged. Even if you didn't sign up or have never been here before, you are welcome to join the middle school uh, crew right after this service uh, to go luging. Lastly and finally, uh, you'll notice also maybe in the bulletin that we are coming to the end of our nominations process for consistory. So if you feel uh, that you or someone you might know uh, might be uniquely called or gifted uh, to serve on our leadership body that we call the consistory uh, as an elder or deacon, we encourage you to nominate them or your, even yourself. Uh, there's a way to get to that link uh, on the back of the bulletin. My friends, as a church, we uh, believe that God is doing some really cool things in and through the ministry of this congregation. And uh, one of the ways in which that happens is through uh, our shared uh, gifts and offerings. And so just as a reminder, those are at the back of the sanctuary in, here in the space, but also online. Uh, you can give on our website. And we'd encourage you to consider the ways in which God might be inviting you uh, to participate in the ministry God is doing at Fellowship Church. Let us continue in that spirit by standing up and worshiping uh, through the song, something awesome. Yeah. Right, Jess? Yes. <laughs> so I think Pastor Nate meant carry a tune in a bucket, but I guess you could carry a beat in a bucket. I don't know. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a tune? <laughs> so it's carry your tune. Whether no, you sorry. can or not, we invite you to sing on this song. It's one that we're learning together. Um, and we'll invite you to clap at a certain point on beat with us, but I think it's worth saying this song talks a lot about joy and shouting our praise, and there's definitely a time to be quiet. Um, there's a time to, to sh sing out and shout, and there is a time to be quiet. And it's also okay if you come into this place and you don't really feel joyful. There are a lot of things in this world and in these January gray days that give us reasons to, to not feel so joyful. So in no shame, we just invite you into this song and maybe the upbeatness of it and the joy that is present in it and really the fact that it names who we are in Christ, these are truths we can stand on even when we don't feel so joyful. So we invite you to join us on this song. We'll invite you to clap at a certain point and if you just get lost, look at Pastor Nate. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hey, pretty good, Jess. I think we found the beat in the bucket there. <laughs> good morning, Fellowship Church. The Lord be with you. 
I'm sitting here today among three stools up here on stage on purpose because in just a short bit, after a long and tedious sermon that you're in for, uh, we'll have our three confirmation students up here on stage to share their faith in Jesus, and, uh, and we'll celebrate that together. But it got me thinking this week about how we have also, in the Gospel of John, three individuals, three characters who each come to Jesus in their own way, or Jesus goes to them, and their story is told back to back to back in the Gospel of John, chapters 3, 4, and 5. These stories are the stories of Jesus interacting with, first, a privileged man, second, a despised woman, and third, a forgotten anybody. Now, it might be too much to bite off all three of these chapters in one morning. It reminds me of uh, uh, years ago when I was growing up, my parents were the type who wanted the kids to hang out in our own basement, and uh, it was a wise parenting choice. We hung out there often because they populated it with a TV, a sound system, a ping pong table, and a fridge full of endless Mountain Dew. So we would hang out there regularly. On one particular Friday night, my friends and I gathered in that space, and we had gotten our hands on a gumball machine and a plastic, clear plastic trash bag full of gumballs, like a thousand of them. And on that particular night, we had the brilliant idea of seeing how many gumballs we could get in our mouth. Like the old youth group game called Chubby Bunny, which is now banned, and it should be because it's a choking hazard, but you get as many marshmallows in your mouth as possible. We did that with gumballs, and, uh, and we learned by experience what it means to bite off more than you can chew. You eventually get to the point of you can't swallow, you can't talk. We had 100 gumballs in our mouth. It was a hoot. Today's... Uh, Today's triple character study might be too much, biting off more than we can chew, and yet I want to try to do it with you today uh, because it's in our text. And uh, their three stories in the scripture alongside the three witnesses of our students this morning are, I hope, together an invitation to each of us to picture ourselves before Jesus and asking in our own time, in our own way, the age-old question, who is this man? Who is he to me, and who am I to him? As we go there, I want to pull out for each character an obscure transition verse from the text, and also a video clip that helps us to see or picture what it was like to be them. To be clear, you don't have to like the video clips. It's okay. There are things in the video clips that I don't like as well, and yet they also help us to take a fresh look, particularly if some of these stories are all too familiar. So let's start with the first one, which would be uh, the privileged man from chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, which Pastor Nate preached well last week, so this is mostly review, but this is how he's introduced in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And then the rest of the story reveals that he comes curious and has questions. Interesting. Nicodemus, if you take a look at him as a character, and if you were to map society on a kind of ladder, Nicodemus would be way up there on the top. If you're checking boxes of the things that you're hoping you wish that you would have going for you, Nicodemus checks all the boxes. He is respected. 
He is religious. He is knowledgeable. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees, like the Apostle Paul. He's a top-notch fella. And, as some of you might actually know from your own life experience, his high ranking, his prestige, are precisely the things that make his relationship to Jesus uniquely difficult or highly consequential, if you will. Nicodemus appears three times, as Pastor Nate said last week, in the Gospel of John, at the beginning, middle, and end, chapter 3, chapter 7, and chapter 19. So he's there from start to finish, but every time he's on the fence. He's seeking Jesus, but we never quite know whether he believes or follows Jesus. He ends up being a character who is a kind of cliffhanger, kind of like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, where eventually you're just left wondering, will the elder brother finally join the party or not? We wonder with Nicodemus, will he ever finally join the Jesus party or not? Now, with 2,000 years worth of hindsight, we can look at him and say, oh man, He had so much uh, to lose. He missed out on not following Jesus. He would have said it differently in his day and age. He would have said, I have so much to lose by following him. It's the opposite way around. So I invite you to take a look at this clip to picture a bit of what it would be like to be Nicodemus. Tonight, you are an honored guest. Leaders will expect you to perform and to have your wits about you. Why? Why must I perform? First I perform for quinters. You taught God's law. Soldiers, then for for the slum dwellers. And this, what what sort of performance is this? When did Shabbat become theater? You are the teacher of Israel. You do not have questions, you have answers. You have authority. You bring clarity, not confusion. Tell me, what do you see in the mirror? (laughs) It is a cheap glass. I can barely make out anything at all. Sometimes I wonder if what we can know of Adonai and the law is just as blurred. What if we're not seeing the whole picture? What if it's more beautiful and and more strange than we can ever imagine. That is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. It might even be blasphemy. It was just a thought. And you will never utter those thoughts in public. A man is free to question in his heart. Then leave it in your heart. This is a serious engagement. They expect an erudite teacher, not a doubting, blaspheming fool. (laughs) I hope you can see it a little bit there. Nicodemus seems to be a genuine seeker, and it's consequential for him to follow hard after Jesus. The reason I think it matters today is Nicodemus is me. Nicodemus is you. 
Nicodemus is us. Nicodemus is anyone who is a religious person of rank or who has been in the church for quite some time. I'm thinking of the Jethro's that we have here at Fellowship. Jethro is a a riff on a story in Exodus where Moses has a father-in-law named Jethro, and Jethro helps him lead the people. We call past presidents of Fellowship Church the Jethro's. So I'm thinking of our religious, prestigious leaders of years past, of June Reimink, Carol Wagner, Bob Ellis, Roger Price, Barb Ericks, Jeff Jansma, and a host of others. These would be our Nicodemuses. I'm thinking of our past pastors, Ken Ericks, JB, the Reverend Most Righteous, Megan, Marika, Lindsay, Nate, Ross, others, each and all, maybe yourself included, like Nicodemus, are surprisingly invited by Jesus to be born again, to start all over. It's fascinating that it's Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, not some wandering fool. It's Nicodemus that Jesus actually evangelizes first. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, is the one who encounters John 3.16. That's the one who it's actually said, said to, not some poster at the end of a football stadium. It's to Nicodemus. It makes me think of my own story, of what it was like for me, too, to sit as a confirmation student one day. I've been in the church my whole life. I've been belonged to God from the very start, baptized as an infant, went to church on Sundays twice, plus catechism went to a Christian school, all of the things, and yet there were still times where I would meet Jesus and be invited to be born again. Particularly one stands out for me where all of the stuff as a senior in high school that I knew, the information that was in my head and about the Bible moved about 18 inches from my head to my heart. And it made a big difference. It was one of a thousand other conversion experiences that I've had, little bits, reforming and always reforming, if you will, to use a phrase from our tradition. That's been my journey, and I hope it's been yours too. And I think that as we see Nicodemus in this story, he is there as a representative character to all of us who are heavily churched and as a clear reminder that we are to always be seeking, always seeking Jesus and always wondering, who is this man? Who is this man? That's character number one. Character number two is actually Nicodemus's polar opposite. It is the woman at the well in John chapter four. There's a transition verse that's really curious in that particular chapter. John chapter four, verse four. Jesus has just finished interacting with Nicodemus in Jerusalem, and he's on his way back up north to Galilee, where he's from. And in verse four, it says, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't, right? I mean, anybody who's traveled anywhere knows that there's multiple ways to get from here to there. Geographically, you can go all kinds of different ways from one place to another. And actually, faithful Jews were in the habit of doing that. They'd go from Jerusalem to Galilee and avoid Samaria. So something else is going on. And the reason he had to go there is because of his own purposes or his God-given purpose in life. He had to go through Samaria because he had someone to meet there. And the person he met there is the woman at the well. Again, she's the polar opposite of Nicodemus. He's named. She's not. He's respected and prestigious. She is despised and rejected. He is a Jew 
and an insider to the people of God. She, a Samaritan and an outsider, clearly. Nicodemus seeks Jesus at night, undercover. Jesus seeks her out at high noon in broad daylight. Collectively, we have set stage. It's actually two separate mountains, even, where the Jews would worship God in Jerusalem and the Samaritans would go to this Mount Kerizim. There were separate people groups, segregated, a kind of tribalism that we all know far too well in our day-to-day with different people groups now. And as Jesus seeks her out and interacts with her, anyone and everyone who feels like they are a despised outsider should pay careful attention to this particular scene. I invite you to take a look. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I should have said, please. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you. In the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. Stop it. The second was Farzad. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. 
I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! Hey, wait! You're what, dear? You forgot your, um... Well, that, friends, is the tale of a woman transformed. It's an exciting story, and it is interesting to pay attention to the way that her character shifts throughout the encounter with Jesus. She goes from cold to warm. I hope you saw that. She starts out sassy. She ends up shocked. She begins cynical, and she ends celebrating. This has been a pattern that was noticed long ago. Ephraim the Syrian, writing in the year 300 AD, so this is 1,700-year-old commentary on this text. Ephraim the Syrian, Syrian says this about the woman. He says, first she caught sight of a thirsty man, then a Jew, then a rabbi, afterwards a prophet, and last of all, the Messiah. She tried to get the better of the thirsty man. She showed her dislike of the Jew, she heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet. And finally, she adored the Christ. What happened in the middle of this story that caused her to change such a posture? Pay attention to Jesus, of course, always. He begins very graciously. He approaches her. He starts the conversation, which otherwise would have been awkward and offensive. He starts it, and he begins with grace gracious interactions with her, asking for water and then offering living water. But she's still sassy and, and, and snappy. And then finally, he offers truth. He brings up the husbands, and this becomes the big pivot point in the story. He brings up the husbands, and as he does that, it moves her to a moment of conscience and conviction. She actually has, she's really chatty, you may have noticed. She's talkative. The shortest answer she has is the one where he first brings up the husband. She says, I have no husband. It's only three words in the Greek. She's clearly shutting down, closing off, hoping to stay hidden in that particular moment. But it begins the shift in her life. Now, to be clear, we don't have to view all of these husbands as all her fault. That has been done by too many people for too long, to paint her up almost as if she's some kind of prostitute or some kind of terrible, terrible, terrible person. That's not what the text says. She actually had husbands. They might have been serial husbands, but she's not a prostitute. And these husbands could have, been, uh, could have left her for various reasons. They could have died. They could have been abusive. They could have been scoundrels who left her because they could in that society. And five or six is a lot. We also don't have to try to paint her up as if she's totally innocent. None of us are innocent. We don't need to try to pretend that she is either. And the last one in particular is quite clearly problematic in the text. In the Greek original, it suggests that he's not her husband because she's probably someone else's. There's clearly a problem here. But Jesus is only bringing up these husbands to the point of conscience and conviction. 
which is what he often might do with us. It's been said that the prerequisite to receiving the gospel is knowing that we need it. And up until the point of bringing this up, she has plentiful shields in place, like many of us do. When we are hiding from God and hiding from others, we are sassy, we are snappy, we are cynical, just like she was. When we are humbly open to God and others, as she does, and it's noteworthy that she actually stays. She could have walked away. She stays there in broad daylight with Jesus. She is humbly open to him and to others. That's when we have connection, laughter, and joy, which is what follows in her particular story. It's fascinating that the story ends with her becoming one of the first evangelists in the Bible. How cool is that? A Samaritan, the outsider, pulled inside, becomes one of the first ones. She goes back to her village and celebrates the one who knows her better than she knows herself, the one who told her everything. She goes back and says, come and see this Jesus. Come and see the one who might be the Messiah. She's not even quite sure yet, and yet her whole village follows and follows Jesus as well. What a cool thing. She receives the living water because she finally asks for it, and then she becomes a fount flowing over into her village. What a cool story. To anyone and everyone who feels like, an, like a hopeless outsider, I hope that you would join the woman in celebrating Jesus is the one who knows me, and that's actually a really, really good thing. That's the second character. We have one more character who is yet different than the previous two. John chapter 5 tells the story of a forgotten anybody. We also don't know this person's name. It is a man, an unnamed man, who is sitting beside a pool. He is crippled, and this pool is where they are, they're hoping that when it bubbles, you can be healed by it. And he is gathered there. He has been there for 38 years. Unlike Nicodemus and the woman at the well, who in some ways made their own life choices, this time it seems a bit like this man by the pool was likely a victim. His condition was probably not his fault. What caused it? We don't know. What was it like to be him? We don't know. We don't get those details. We do know that he was there for 38 years, and that's a really long time. Had he given up hope? Take a look at one rendering of what his story might have been like.
Did his story unfold exactly like that? We don't know. But we do know that we have in this story an unnamed man who is desperate and possibly despairing. And the center of the text is this transition verse where Jesus shows up and asks a very strange question. He says, do you want to get well? John chapter 5, verse 6. Do you want to get well? What a peculiar question. Two noticings that I hope you notice. First, I hope you notice the pool. The man is beside this pool called Bethsaida. And the wondering is, is this pool of God or is it something else? It strikes me as possibly something else, maybe a bit more like hoping to win the lottery as a way of getting rich. This water-stirring kind of thing doesn't seem to be so immediately orthodox. And yet, I'm not so sure I can be all too judgmental about that because any and all of us who end up in dire straits are very often willing to take help from wherever we can get it, aren't we? Some pastors have even noticed that even the most staunch atheists who deny faith altogether, if they end up in a hard enough spot and you offer them prayer, they're very unlikely to refuse it because we'll take help from wherever we can get it. Well, thankfully for this man, Jesus sought him out, even when he wasn't seeking Jesus out, and Jesus heals him without the help of the pool, which is fascinating. And it brings us back to this penetrating question that Jesus asks of him when he shows up. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It makes me wonder if and when Jesus shows up in all of our lives, does he also ask us, do you want to get well? The old story of St. Augustine tells his confessions almost too honestly. He has an instance where he's talking about a confession he makes to God saying, oh Lord, please make me chaste but not yet. He doesn't want it yet. It's an indication of what he truly wants. He's enjoying the promiscuity a little bit too much. Do you want to get well is the question that's asked there. You could picture also people who are in prison who sometimes get so used to being in that place, not all, but you might end up in there so frequently that it isn't asked. Do you really want to get out? And do you want to get used to living among the well? It's a fitting question. The man had been there for 38 years among the unwell. Do you want to get well? I think part of the point of Jesus asking his question is that Jesus wants to work with those who want something. Jesus wants to work with those who want something. And I've learned over the years that there is no discipleship without desire. We must be seeking after him. We've got to want something of this Jesus, and he wants us to want something. We're running out of time here. But I want you to notice, on the whole, that we have these three characters, each who encounters Jesus in their own way, and Jesus meets them face-to-face, as they are, where they are. How wonderfully gracious. And at the same time, Jesus also challenges each of them in precisely the way that they need most to be challenged. From Nicodemus, we learn the great value of seeking and to never give up on seeking because a life of stagnation is just not okay. From the woman at the well, we learn the value of asking because Jesus has the best stuff in the whole world on offer, but he wants us to ask for it. And when she finally does, it makes all the difference in her world and her whole village. And from the man at the pool, we learn the value of wanting because part of what Jesus comes to save us from is a life of despair. He wants us to want. 
In just a moment, we're going to have a few students up here on these stools, and they will be doing these very same things that the characters in the scriptures are doing. They will be seeking, asking, and wanting. And I hope that the collection of all of these individuals who are coming to Jesus in their own ways is a reminder to you as well to picture yourself standing before Jesus day after day after day and asking, who is this man? Who am I to him and who is he to me? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to stand and join us in singing as we respond.
morning. My name is Bryce Vanderselt. I'm the Minister of Youth and Young Adults here at Fellowship, and I invite our confirmation students to come on forward. So these students have taken part in our confirmation class, and to give you a picture of what that's like, uh, since, forget if it was end of October, beginning of November, they have been meeting with me and Regan on Sunday mornings, and we've been having discussions about our faith and what we believe and what the church does. And through these conversations, so they've come on Sunday mornings to take part in that. And then we've also given them a couple of projects to work on. One is we ask students to write their own creed. So to sit down and say, uh, write down the ideas of what do I believe in my faith? And then this year we also started asking them to come up with a service project, something that we as a church community could do for the community around us. So each of them, prepared a project and came this past Monday night to meet with our uh, consistory and speak before the group of elders. They did a great job and presented these things and the elders voted and this morning we get to celebrate as a community. Now we're gonna give you guys the chance to talk a little bit because I know you love it, um, especially with the microphone. But Landon, so again we have Landon Meyer, Ellery Tolgetsky, and Evan Zorner. Landon, as we went through this whole process, what was a highlight or what was the favorite part of the process for you? My highlight or favorite part was probably doing the service project to try and help the people around us in the community. Another section that they worked on was their creed. And in this creed, they focused on four parts. I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe that I. Now, Evan, of those four sections, which one stood out to you the most? Well, the section that stood out to me the most was probably the I section, because it was the hardest one for me to write, just because there were so many things that I didn't know what to put in it and it was hard to choose which order and like what ones to put in it. And the thing that I had written was that I am faithful, that I am sinful, but am forgiven by God, and I am loved by God and others. And that's what I had and I put together. 
Now, Ellery, Landon mentioned the service project, and Ellery showed up not only to share her service project with the elders, she had a PowerPoint ready to go to share with the elders. So, Ellery, I'm just curious, could you just give us, what was the big idea of the service project you put together? Uh, the big idea was to think of things we could help, like a church could help with community. Mine was to help get winter gear for the high school and the elementary school. So I love that Ellery, as she was talking, as they were preparing these things, she said, you know, I walk between buildings at school and I notice people walking without coats and I know they don't have one. So how cool would it be if we could provide things for our community? Uh, since the very first day of our class, when I always start out the class by saying, why are you joining this class? Why do you wanna be in confirmation? And this year, all three of them had a shared kind of hope that they wanted to be a part of the church so that they could take part in the service and what the church is doing. So there's a heart for service in this group that has been a gift to, uh, to discuss with them and learn more from them and to hear their ideas of how we as a church can serve others. Now today we're doing confirmation and we are confirming the promises that were made to you guys at baptism. I would just like to share with the congregation, since you were all baptized a while ago, uh, I want to share the dates that you were baptized. Landon, you were baptized on November 11 in 2007. Evan, you were baptized on July 1 of 2007. And Ellery, you were baptized on June 10 of 2007. Students, we know you've already done the, the maybe more intimidating part, which would be to share your faith in detail in front of the consistory where they're circled around and allowed to ask whatever questions they want. You did that on Monday. So this is the celebration, and I'm going to ask you the official questions, which are already kind of built into your stories and your creeds, but we want to invite you to respond together to this set of questions, okay? Do so with some enthusiasm, okay? Turn it up a notch. All right, do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? I renounce Good. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Will you be a faithful member of this congregation and through worship and service seek to advance God's purposes here and throughout the world? I will, and I ask God's Last one, do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of the church to walk in a spirit of Christian love with this congregation and to seek those things that make for un unity, purity, and peace. Wonderful. Hey, they have got, uh, kind of shared their promises there, their com uh, confirmation of faith. I want to invite you as a congregation to rally around them because that's what we do and to make a promise to these students uh, as they go public with their faith right now. We'll do so with the words that are on the screen. Let's say it together. As the congregation of Fellowship Church, we promise to love, encourage, and support these brothers and sisters by extending God's love, by being an example of the Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Students, welcome to the family. As we welcome you guys into the family, we want to pray over you. So at this time, I would like to invite a couple of leaders and parents to come up as well. Uh, as, we, as you guys come up, so we have Reagan, who along with being helping with confirmation class and being a seminary intern, is also one of our high school youth leaders. 
And then we have Jerry Alverson coming up, also one of our high school youth leaders, and Shanna Meyer, who is also a high school youth leader, and it's super cool that Landon is also her son. So we've invited uh, you all to come up, uh, invite the students to come up to the kneeling benches, and we are gonna pray for each of you individually as we celebrate this morning. Landon Carter, you are a child of God, a recipient of the covenant, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and marked as God's own forever. So defend, O Lord, your servant Landon, with your heavenly grace, that they may be continually yours and daily increase in your spirit more and more until they come to your eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Evan James Zorner, you are a child of God, a recipient of the covenant, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and marked as God's own forever. So defend, O Lord, your servant Evan, with your heavenly grace, that he may be continually yours and daily increase in your spirit more and more until he comes to your eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Ellery, you are a child of God a recipient of the covenant, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as God's own forever. So defend, O Lord, your servant Ellery with your heavenly grace that she may be continually yours and daily increase in your spirit more and more until she comes to know your eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Students and families, you can step back to your normal spot there, and as you have shared your faith in specifics, we're going to join with you and together share the words of the Apostles' Creed, but it's in question-and-answer format, so stay on your toes, okay? And would you please stand? I'll ask the question, you give the answer. Congregation of Fellowship Church, do you believe in God the Father? We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, would you please join in welcoming our newest professing members. Thanks be to God for you guys.
And as your first gift of being professing members, you get to stay on stage and sing with us together this song as we sing to one another. My friends, may you grow in grace. Let's do it. I'm going to invite you as a congregation. Yeah, you can start playing. That's good. Um, I'm going to invite you as a congregation to extend your hands if you're comfortable towards the students. And then when we come to the part in the song with To God Be the Glory, you can raise them. We'll do that twice. say especially thanks be to God for you. And as we've gathered in worship this morning to celebrate Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and as the one who knows us best, may you all and you too go from this place and may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>